have you either received or given a gift to your players in real life that you find to be memorable or amusing? My D&D group does birthdays and Christmas. So we give out presents all of the time. For Christmas, we do Secret Santa. Uh, so everybody gets to draw out of a hat. But for birthdays, we tend to do like 80 bucks worth of gifts. Everybody like throws in 15, 20 bucks. We tend to go big. Like that's a D&D book or like a set of paints for minis or something like like really expensive metal dice. So we do a lot of gift giving. And uh, and then on top of that, we also do do gifts in my Call of Cthulhu group. We did it in my evil campaign. Like I'm big on the birthdays and the and the Christmas. And um, but I would say the thing that I do the most is if we play on a holiday, I will give you a future inspiration die. For example, one time we played on St. Patrick's Day. And so in game, every single one of them got a four-leaf clover from a mysterious ginger halfling. And they all got in real life a green D4 that they could use once a session and add it. So like you could get blessed once, right? Because you pull out your four-leaf clover and get lucky. Um, there wasn't, well, that's not how I meant that. Um, <laughs> it's on brand though. <laughs> we did uh, Valentine's where my brain Day. Went. <laughs> uh, our session landed on Valentine's Day one time and I handed out... Um, uh pink d20s to everyone and these were uh special cupid arrows and so you would get to roll these with advantage if you did a ranged attack anytime in the future so everybody picked up a bow and always had one magic arrow that would return to them at dawn the next day right so like i i those are the kind of gifts that i like to give in game and also out of game so i have a short and easy one and i'm not a real good planned gift giver ever in life but every once in a while, I just come across something where I'll go, oh, I know need, I know who needs to have that. I'm just going to buy it and give it to them. Um, and a few years back, I, you know, sc screwing around on Instagram, as you do, saw an ad for a thing and went, oh, I know who needs that. And if I just send them the link, it won't go anywhere. I'm just going to buy it and ship it to them and tell them to expect it. And my buddy Fran, who's probably listening to this, it was a laser cut wooden assemble yourself little tabletop dice catapult that's maybe four inches by three inches by two inches and it's just that's pretty you know, cool has a little cup on the end you like break it out of the wood put it together yourself a couple rubber bands included stick the dice in the cup and fling it across the table at your friends and i knew that he needed it more than anybody else so i just bought it, it was like eight or ten bucks or whatever I'm just like here you go you need this enjoy Go irritate everyone at, you know, our other friend's D&D table when you go play D&D. Have fun. <laughs> it's just like an impulse thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually when we get new players that come in, we get a lot of like brand new have never played before players. So we will try and get them a set of dice or we'll buy them their first mini um, and I'll paint it for them. There was... One of the games I ran for my kids, it was um like an Indiana Jones style dungeon and it was all like dice themed and they had to fight dice golems at the end. And there was a, a dice goblin that was like protecting the shrine. And once he decided that they were worthy, he gave them a D20. So each of them have their own actual d20 that i gave them that is their like um rolling with advantage sort of dice that they can use in games in the future in our family games and stuff i feel like it's always a good idea to give dice to new players even when mm -hmm. like we just played l5r and megan handed out d10s to all of the players ahead of time right because it's a d10 based system so she got a bunch mm -hmm. of color-coded ones and handed them out to everybody because she was 
running it as a DM. Like I, we tend to gift at the beginning of major campaigns or when we're trying a new system or like D and D is all about merch. And yet I find that all of the merch sucks. So it tends <laughs> to be dice. And then that like the one mug or notebook or whatnot that represents the class that you are currently playing. Right. Or so, dice related things say, like I'm dice boxes a, and trays. I'm and in bags. a death safe shirt with my own merch hoodie sitting next to an it's a mimic mug. So <laughs> Okay, all right. So so Peps is the queen of merch then. I am. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on player options in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Jeff and Pepperina, and this episode is called Special Gifts, Lods and Nods to Shift Their Odds. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be looking at some of the optional rules around gifting players special mechanical bonuses. The epic boons in the Dungeon Master's Guide are interesting, but there are lots of other options hidden around in the other books. Remember that some of these are very powerful, and these might be long-term goals to work toward, assuming the DM and player can agree. It took me a while to reconcile why the notoriously powerful player characters would need massive power-ups like the ones we're talking about today. But then I realized how many monsters there are above CR20 and how many campaigns are designed to wrap up at levels 11 or 14, but could really use a handful of additional sessions to give a satisfying heroic ending against a Keiju or a god. But now I'm wondering, would you prefer to hand out equal blessings to all the characters all at once, or do you litter them across a few sessions so the Days X Mechana isn't quite so on the nose? Let's uh, let's grab dice. One, three, <laughs> fourteen. I'm winning today. Oh, so <laughs> speaking of gifts that we were talking about be- before the opening, mm-hmm. uh, I was bitching a handful of, of episodes ago. I guess a while ago by the time this comes out about the fact that I didn't have any brown dice and I always look for them. And uh-huh. then Tyler got me brown dice. So <laughs> you like yeah. showed up at my house one day and like dropped them off and Mieka snuck them into my office. And I'm like, fuck yeah, brown dice. And so I, I'm <laughs> kicking ass with the brown dice today. So you can, you can thank Tyler for this. You should just um, got some wooden ones because those the, are brown. And that's really true. Fancy. The other question is, did he make them brown through nefarious means or did he buy <laughs> you brown dice? Um, no, these were actually his brown dice, so God knows. Um, and then he's just like, hey, I have enough dice, Adam, you can have the brown ones. But uh, no, I have wooden dice too, but they always look red because they get like polished finishes and shit on them. And I'm like, mm. I like, they're beautiful, they're great, but they don't, yeah. they're not brown. So anyway, yeah. the question, uh, yes, I absolutely hand out big bonuses and boons and shit, and I tend to focus on the balance issues. For example, um, the last time that we rolled up a bunch of new characters, the beginning of a campaign, Casey's character came in way underpowered because we roll for stats. If it's random, sometimes someone gets shafted. But I will give her a little boost here and a little boost there. But I wasn't too concerned about it because she was playing a Twilight Cleric. So she was more powerful than anybody else right off the fucking bat anyway. So um, so I'm looking at my my balance and I will give little additional boons like the stuff we're talking about today um based on the weakest character 
and then slowly start to hand them out to others as well over the next few weeks so that everybody kind of feels special. Um, the best thing that I ever did was Dave was playing a barbarian and he's on record as, as, as playing this character who was confidently incorrect, always doing the wrong thing at level one. He, instead of running away from a gelatinous cube, he ran up and punched it. He didn't have weapons or armor yet. He punched a gelatinous cube and he fucking got away with it too, due to a lucky fucking roll. It was, it was fucking wild. Anyway, I knew that he'd be a problem. So I gave him troll jerky. Troll jerky is um, enough to feed one person. It is a like drumstick. You eat it. It tastes and smells terrible. Your breath is rancid for the next 12 hours. He's a barbarian, not a bard. He doesn't care. So he got this. And the side effect was every time that he dropped to zero hit points, uh, he would gain a scar and that scar would grow back green. At one point, he lost a hand. And then he started to grow one back, but it came back with seven fingers because he was regenerating troll bits the whole time. And he discovered that even when he fails all of his death saves, he still bounces back in, you know, 2D 10 minutes. So I gave him immortality because he was the only frontline fighter in a party of casters that was purposefully stupid. That was the first thing I handed out. And then I had to balance it from there. Now, that character has since died. That immortality, Dave knew from a meta perspective, that's not going to last. It's going to get us through tier one, right? But, like, mm -hmm. it allowed him to play the Reckless Barbarian he wanted to play in tier one when he didn't really have the opportunity to do that. So right. so that's that's my answer. I really, like, I sprinkle it out, and I, I need to see, are people getting what they want out of this character? Mm -hmm. I think, Jeff, you were next. Yeah. I had a three, bud. I had a one, so. Oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> I just assumed you were in between. I never heard what you nope. rolled. Um, like any good repeat perennial Curse of Strahd DM, I love handing out dubious gifts to characters that are a little bit too far reaching in their, you know, stretch for power. Um, I don't necessarily do it as much as um, a potential deus ex machina or a way to, you know, power up so much as I like to trickle out the possibility that out there in the world are things that could make you more powerful at a price if you want to go find it. And if the character, the player and character are willing to do the legwork to go find it, I will have something for them to find. And they will probably like it and hate it in equal measure. And uh, one of the first things I threw out when they went through the very famous Amber Temple in Curse of Strahd and the dark gifts contained therein was the limitation of one dark gift for, for, per player character. I let them take as many as they wanted. Some of them <laughs> took none. One of them took one. I have one of them that took two and they had no idea what they were in for. They got the vaguest possible hints in the way of otherworldly beings. And it was a ton of fun and horrifying. And we've been having a blast with it. Um, yeah. They stopped at two. What's that? They stopped at two. Nobody took more than two. No, because by that point, they, the, the up and the downsides were enough mm -hmm. that they figured we, I got enough good out of this that yeah. I don't want to get more bad out of this. You both um, know my first group. Oh yeah. One yeah. of them took all of them. That doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have one of them that got the true sight dark gift, and I have one of them that got the reincarnation dark gift. And um, yeah, one of them, I rolled the dark gift in with their um, pact of the undead warlock. They are 
you know, patron bound to the spirit of vampire. So like they're on the path to becoming a vampire. Um, yeah, so, I love that stuff, but I don't, I don't necessarily do it for good. I do it for my amusement. So just, just, <laughs> just as a hilarious, <laughs> as a hilarious sidebar, Jeff, as much as we're talking about the dark gifts from uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft later in the episode, mm-hmm. I specifically didn't include the Amber Temple stuff. Because I'm like, that's spoilery, and I don't want to tell anybody what the shit is. And, and so, well, I, like, and well, I gave you a tiny, <laughs> tiny little pieces of a couple of them, but also none of the side effects that go with them either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> now, it was funny that you, of course, you're on this episode. You're the king yeah, of Curse of Strahd right now. Of course, you bring it up. The total brain fart on my part. Made me no worries. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, newsflash to those out there that haven't played it. If you played your cards right, you could get your player character uh, 60 feet of true sight. There is a downside. Mm-hmm. You might not like it. I don't remember which one I took. I just remember what the side effect was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had one of the player characters saw the visible downsides in other player characters and was like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need any of this in my life. Uh-huh. I'm out. You yeah. do what you want. I won't stop you, but none for me, thanks. It's interesting because this is one of the only times in a module where all of these um, these gifts are written to be handed out at the same time in the same session. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's designed purposefully so that um, players all feel like they all got powered up or they have the opportunity to get powered up equally. Yeah. But if you do that, you have to know that there's a fucking power jump. You oh, Suddenly yeah. your encounters are wildly different now. You you have to be, it, it's, it's that, you know, it's a blatant opportunity for a power jump as a reward for prepping for the end of the campaign or a reward for completing the end of the campaign, depending on which way your players go. But it's also just the right way to do it, considering the lore surrounding the Amber Temple being a repository of evil magic that needs to be cordoned off from the world. Yeah. That access to dangerous magic that's way too easy to, you know, to mess with, locked behind those doors is kind of the whole place's vibe. So it kind of makes sense that if you get past the Guardians, there's some really dangerous shit in there. So you guys have both been in the Amber Temple from different sides of the DM screen now. Does it feel good or bad? Like, are you aware of the fact as from a meta perspective that this is, you know, a, a big gift giving thing before the end of the of the campaign? Did you like getting them all at once or would you rather have them spread out? In the context of that module, I thought it was a ton of fun. My players enjoyed it. And it was a good um, capstone on the time we spent in the temple and in addition to the, all the treasure that they dragged out of there. Um, designing my own campaign, I would prefer tonally to spread the gifts out, that kind of reward. But in this particular module, it kind of feels good to let them fight tooth and nail and work their asses off to achieve something tangible and powerful at the end of it. Peps, what about you? Did you like yeah, getting them all at once? I think, well, <laughs> my group was a little unique in playing Strahd. <laughs> you don't say. Um, so, like like you said, Jeff, we did not have a limit of um, just picking one. We could, one of the girls took all of them. Um, so it was very interesting. I mean, Strahd is such a, like, hard campaign to go through there is a lot of downs in that in that campaign so it's nice to like all at once have something to celebrate but then also like there's the bad yeah (laughs) but you're so close to the end at that point you're like i don't care we just need to get this (laughs) done so like you take 
you take the bad. It's fine. And I think by that time I had like already lost a hand and <laughs> like <laughs> had to have it re put back on. Like there's a lot of shit that we lost. We'd been cursed um, by wine that I stole off of like a werewolf shrine. Like <laughs> shit went bad. So we were used to the bad already by that point. We're like, yeah, give it to me. I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. And when you put it near the end of a campaign like that, particularly one with the tone that that module has, it really kind of manipulates the players into letting their guard down into taking stuff they might not otherwise want to bargain for Mm -hmm. because they understand the stakes that are in front of them. They understand the difficulty of what's to come and they're like, ah, fuck it. You know, let's just do it, which is fun for me as a DM to apply a very soft passive pressure to like, take the deal. No, really, you might want this. Take the deal. Mm -hmm. It's one of the only times that I would ask, are you sure when they don't do the thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, before we get any further into this conversation, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week, we're releasing four episodes. We've got the one you're listening to right now, as well as a sequel that is going to be available as we speak for all silver tier patrons and above over on the Patreon. And in that one, we're going to be talking about the dark gifts that are available in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Later in the week, we also have Megan and Roman returning for the next chapter in their conversation on Legend of the Five Rings. And then, finally, we return to the Campaign Builder where we're going underwater to discuss dynamic aquatic encounters. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so the very first thing that we should talk about when we're talking about gifts are the epic boons from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, You can find the long list on page 231. We're not going to go through them all today. Um, But it has some general rules here that I think are worth thinking about. When the game designers decided at the very beginning that they were going to hand out these extra bonuses and stuff, I think that they were aware of the fact that there is no leveling for the first time in a long time after level 20, right? You could go into huge epic levels and be a level 45 character in previous editions, but it's capped in fifth edition at level 20. So how do we continue to progress and and have these big epic storylines? And the answer is epic boons. Now, the thing about them is they're only available for characters at level 20, although I've never known anybody to stay hard and fast to that rule. And the idea is that every 30,000 experience beyond level 20, you get the opportunity for another epic boon. For um, a little bit of context, for those of you that don't use experience, because very few people do these days, that's like half of an ancient red dragon, right? So if you have a party of four and you're splitting experience equally, you'd have to kill two ancient red dragons to level up at that point. But it's a static level up. Like, it's the same 30,000 for a level 20, 21, 22, 23, like beyond that. It doesn't doesn't scale up, so... Um, the other idea that they say uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide is the boon should be useful moving forward, so it should be kind of plot-based. Don't just hand stuff out willy-nilly. 
make it an important thing that they went, they accomplished the thing, they need this to continue the campaign. And these epic boons are things that make them feel not like heroes, but more like demigods now. These are things that they can do that nobody else um, nobody else can do in the world. So uh, it does say that the DM of the player can choose what that boon is, and I like that idea, but it also says that the DM has the final say. So I do like the fact that rules as written, the DM gets veto power for shit getting ridiculous. So um, that's something that we should be thinking about for this entire episode. Shit can get ridiculous very, very quickly when you're handing out gifts. So, um, for example, here are three of the boons that I selected randomly before the episode um, to to just kind of point out. This is kind of our touchstone for power level. So remember, you're supposed to get this when you would hit technically level 21. The first one, which I thought was underwhelming, was the boon of fortitude. Your hit point maximum increases by 40. At level 20, who gives a shit, right? Yeah, that's I, that's what, one hit from a high CR monster? Yeah. I would rather have plus one to AC, right? Like, yeah. that'll yeah. that'll keep you alive longer than an extra 40 hit points. Yeah, not that getting might, hit a little uh, a little more. Yeah, but I mean, that might matter for a wizard or a sorcerer or a monk or rogue who are in the thick of it all the time with their D8s, but... That's uh, not a that's not a big one to me. I think I think that would be highly dependent upon party makeup. How useful it is. If yeah. you get to that high of a level with a party that doesn't have a dedicated quote unquote tank, yeah, giving forty hit points to your you know sword lock could be huge. It it could be. But, I don't know any any party that gets that far without a paladin in it. Right. Um, uh, the next one is the boon of skill proficiency. This one Boring. is. You'd think boring, but you gain proficiency <laughs> in all skills, every one of them. Uh, yeah, but the characters that the players that care about that for their character are picking are playing rogues and bards that already have that anyway. Yes, this to me is what gets your level twenty one wizard to that that moment of of divine inspiration where they suddenly just understand the world better, or the warlock gets that level of understanding. You know, the whole idea is that you've made a deal with Cthulhu and Cthulhu gives you knowledge that is forbidden, this is how you unlock that knowledge. Suddenly you know uh, an extra little bit about all history and all all religion, and you just understand the physics better of acrobatics and shit. Like, I'm I'm cool with that. It's, it's boring on paper, actually pretty useful, and I think it's going to bring the players that are sitting there watching the Rogan Bard um, have all this fun with all the skills, they're going to suddenly become relevant again. It's uh, the Neo in the Matrix moment. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and another one that I picked at random was a Boon of High Magic. You gain one ninth level spell slot, provided that you already have one. That's potentially huge, depending being able on to, the person you give it to. Being able to chain shit with Time Stop, another ninth level spell, is wild. Oh yeah, that's that's extremely powerful. So the reason that I wanted to talk about these ones is there's clearly a power difference in the boons. Yeah. Um, you as a dungeon master should, if you're going to hand this out, think long and hard about which ones you're going to hand out and who you're going to hand them out to. Um, I will say that boon of high magic becomes infinitely more useful to a warlock at level 20 because they oh, don't yeah. have high level spell slots, yeah. right? So, but they will have access to one ninth level. Right, and now they have two. Yeah. Now, most people never get to level 20, much less beyond it. So there's also the idea that you might want to hand these out early. And I have. And I've noticed a lot of people doing that. So 
I've been thinking a lot about how to fix the imbalance. Um, how do you play with these mechanics without ruining a campaign? For me, when I've handed shit out like this in the past, I've tied it to a magical item so it uses up an attunement slot. There's a certain number of uh, uses before it has to recharge at dawn. And there are other ways that you can think about this. You have this uh, this breastplate that uh, gives you the extra 40 hit points at level 11. That's great. You also fucking glow. So there's a downside to it as well, right? So there has to be this kind of balance. If you're going to give a ninth level spell slot to a level 12 character, you understand they're not going to be casting power word kill or wish because they don't have ninth level spells, but they will be casting fireball at ninth level. And these are still things that you have to be thinking about. So that ninth level spell slot should be handed out to someone who's maybe not your blaster caster, right? Um, who might get something else uh, out of it from upcasting. So give that uh, to your paladin since there's a cap on divine smite damage anyway. Let yeah. them cast a ninth level cure wounds. Sure. Like that's that's awesome, right? And so there are places to to bring these in early, but again, even more caution should be used. Uh, I do have a couple of questions, so I'd like to roll initiative again. See if you guys can roll double digits. <laughs> Twelve. Ten. I got a six, Just so barely. I'm gonna eat my own words on that one. Um Jeff, what's a piece of advice that you have for players about approaching their DMs about getting a special power like these boons? Involve your DM in a development plan that might lead towards receiving something. If you're, if you as a player are wanting this extra ability as a capstone for your character above and beyond what's written in the class you've chosen, work with the DM. They're going to have some ideas. Trust your DM that they might want to apply some tweaks that may make it more appropriate, more plot sensitive or relevant. Um, rather than asking for a specific, you know, something from the book, you know, use that as inspiration for something else that might be interesting to your character down the road. Uh, let your DM build one for you. Um, I mean, it's always, I think, good to not just like, can I have this thing? But like, what can we do to work together to make this happen? What would be good in the story where I could find this or work towards this? I don't like, don't expect something like this to just be like, oh yeah, next session you'll have this thing. Like you're gonna have to, what kind of quest can I go on? What kind of thing can I search for? And like make it a mission in the game to get to that point. Um, I wouldn't just expect to be handed one of these because you saw it in the book and <laughs> thought it was cool, you know? Um, but I would work with the DM on, and then it could be like a cool plot point or part of your backstory or, you know, something like that. I think you could create a good story out of getting something like this. Yeah, I agree. Also, the idea of not getting it immediately is massive, right? Like, that's one of the major complaints that people have um, when they make requests is they don't get it right away i i really want this one item or this this pet or whatever and the dm's like i know what the next three sessions are in my head you'll get it in session four mm -hmm. but i asked by the time that you play again it's been two months and you haven't had this thing right so like i i, I get it i get why people are upset about it my big um my big thing is keep in mind the dm has three jobs encounter prep lore dump referee this challenges their encounter prep and might impact their ability to referee. So expect a yes, but, or a no, but as well, right? So mm -hmm. um, I think that most dungeon masters should be trying to think about balance like that. 
Uh, Jeff, do you have any advice for DMs who are considering handing out the big epic boons like this? Similar to what you had mentioned about the potential of giving them out before level 20, since most people don't make it that far. If you're interested in shaking things up a little bit and throwing obviously powerful boons at your players at lower levels, tie them distinctly to a quest line, a plot line, a goal, something that they have to do. You know, their the cleric's connection to their deity, they pray for guidance on how to take, you know, as the Strahd example from earlier, this one vampire down, I need help, God, you know, give me strength. You know, have this super powerful thing that can only be used once or can only be used for the next four days. Or, you know, if you don't go directly to this boss fight or dungeon or whatever, it fizzles and doesn't work anymore. You could potentially let it be super powerful, but put severe limitations and understand that once that goal is achieved, it's gone. The boon doesn't work anymore because it, the reason it was given is now complete and you're on to something else. And you don't need that power anymore because the task is done. Um, In my online campaign, we just got done like this last weekend was the last weekend of it. Every year for a month, we have what's called the Festival of Fates. And it's where all the players can come together because it's a huge community. There's like 30-ish of us that are active players in different groups. Um, the DM runs four to six sessions a week for everybody. Um, that sounds fucking exhausting. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but he does amazing. Uh, but thank you so much, Ray, for everything you do. <laughs> but in this Festival of Fates, it is a time where we can all sort of relax and enjoy meeting everybody because we don't always get to meet the players in the world. It's a massive world and we're on complete opposite continents and ends of it. And um, and there's fun things that you can do. And in this, he created a bingo card for different goals that you can do during this festival. And at the end, if you got a bingo, you got a gift. So even things like that, if it's not this big epic campaign like curse of strad or if it's a more fun lighthearted thing um i think that was a really fun way for all of the players to actively search for things and to interact with each other and to interact with the world and see the things he created because there was very specific ones that you had to have to go to this thing to get that and then over here for this and we had to really work for it in order to get a bingo line and like work together too like some of them you needed six plus players to get that one square so we had to work together and plan it out um i think that's another fun way that you could work this kind of thing like make make a list of goals that they can accomplish together to get one of to the things that i've done in the past when it comes to gifts as well um speaking of making them work together is i will give something like a pedestal with a MacGuffin that's glowing on the top of it and the idea is that whoever touches it first gets this gift. And I tell them that ahead of time. And I let the party decide who's going to be the person to do it. Now, my party is very altruistic. They like working as a team. They, there's nobody that's running for that gift to you know screw over somebody else. I don't really have any My Precious Character players. So I'm not too concerned about that. I have the luxury of being like, Hey, there's this one really cool item, this one magical gift, this one reward. Who gets it? And it's been really cool to watch them sit down and argue about who deserves it. But it's not like I deserve it. It's no, 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 no. You deserve it. Remember you did this for me three sessions ago? Well, yeah, but I mean, 
I'm supposed to heal you up like that. You deserve it because you went and talked to the magistrate last session. And it's been really fun and rewarding to sit back and watch that. But I feel like you need to have the right party for that. A lot of the time, especially with these like pop-up online groups, now they're just going to run for it and steal it. And maybe that's what you want in a little pop-up group that's only going to last six sessions. But I, I do like making it the player's, I don't want to say problem, but prerogative to choose who gets what, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do that a lot with if we find like a stash of magic items or something, um, our DM will in our home games will like hand out five magic items and say, this is what's in there. Figure out who gets it. You know, I, I used to do a thing where I would hand out like the if there are a number of like, let's say I've got five players, I would hand out magic items where three of them are pretty good. One is amazing and one is clearly shit. Mm. Here you go, guys. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Similar to that is having one of those items just not be be a good item, but no one in the group can use it. I've done what that are you a lot. Do with it? Figure it out. My, fa- my favorite one. It goes in the bag of holding to be forgotten about forever. My favorite <laughs> one that I ever handed out was uh, you would have a throne that if you sat on the throne, you would have disadvantage on all um, strength, dex, and con saves, and you would have advantage on all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma ones, as long as you were sitting on the throne and attuned to it. But it was one solid, gigantic tooth of a mo- like a dragon, and it was carved out of this tooth, and it was too big to fit in a uh, bag of holding. And- First version, the throne is a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would hope that I have an advantage on my constitution, if that's the case. <laughs> um, are there any dangers for handing out gifts like this? And if so, like besides... What we've talked about already. Can you think of anything, Jeff, off the top of your head? I mean, a lot of DMs struggle with encounter balance. A lot of DMs struggle with it. And it doesn't get easier at higher levels. It gets harder. It gets harder and harder to predict when you're going to hit the right marks for difficulty and not just outright, you know, nuke your party. Um, Buyer beware. You can give your players cool stuff. You are adding work for yourself. You're going to have to put in some time and some effort to think about how this is going to affect your workload going forward as a DM so that you can give them the experience that you want to without just having them completely steamroll the next 10 things you put in front of them. You're 100% on board with that. Like, yes, 100%. That is, that's the main fucking issue. Peps, do you have anything? Um, I would just be cautious about keeping track of who you've given how many things to so that you don't have that one player especially if you have big groups and you're only playing every other month you know it's it's easy to forget like oh yeah i gave them that thing last time or three sessions ago um so you don't end up with one player who never gets anything um because like you know your monk your barbarian they don't necessarily use magic items so i think boons and gifts like this kind of thing you know if they're just using their hands if they're just punching they're not using knives they're not using um armor you know i i had a monk for a long time she wore no armor she had no weapons so what do you give her so i think things like this are easy for that but also you don't want to not give things to your person who does have you know maybe a couple magic items so just finding balance on who you're giving what to and making sure it kind of stays even so you don't have that animosity between players um accidentally i was in a campaign about three four years ago where there were four players and the dm uh was this is actually really early in fifth edition for me so god it must have been like seven years ago now but um the dm's girlfriend had never played D before and the rest of us were all like seasoned players 
and she showed up. We were all like level three or something at the beginning. And she showed up with three magic items and an epic boon and all this stuff just to make it fair. And that that that's not the problem with a new player. The problem is is understanding rules and and uh agency and fiat, right? Like it's not yeah, it's not the more numbers. crap on their character sheet is not gonna make it better. And we sat there and I think that I was rolling death saves three times a session for the first four sessions. And she would sit in the back and say, I'm going to watch until someone comes up to me to fight. I'm like, for fuck's sakes. And she couldn't be hit. She had automatic shield for the first three rounds of every fight, right? So off of a, off of an item. So anytime initiative was rolled, not number of times a day, whenever initiative was rolled, the first three, t- first three rounds, shield would pop off for her. Um, and it was frustrating enough that we all bailed on the campaign. We said enough. Like, this is clearly DM favoritism. And so as much as you got to make sure that ev- like you're not leaving one person out, you got to make sure that you are not playing favorites too with this. Mm-hmm. Right. Even so, if like write it down in your notes who you gave what to, you know, because like I said, it's easy to it's easy to forget. This, <laughs> this, ties, in, <laughs> this ties in with like magic items and stuff too. Um, mm-hmm. I not that long ago, actually, while we were in the Amber Temple well, that we were discussing earlier, um, one of my players got a magic item, found it on the ground, um, just happened to be the one that found it and didn't give it up because it was right for their character. And after the session, that player came forward to me and said that that was the first time as a player they had ever received a magic item ever in any campaign. They were level nine. Wow. My group had a lot of magic items. It's not because I didn't put any in front of them that he didn't have any. He just didn't take any of the ones that were put in front of him in that campaign because they were, you know, it's just the way the the cookie crumbled. And no other DM that he'd ever played for had ever put magic items in his path directly. And it kind of made me feel bad for a while. We talked about it. It was fine. Like, there was no hurt feelings. But it is very important to the balance of your player group, of your friends, probably, to make sure that if there is someone in that kind of a situation that you can you can really boost them up and make them feel good by giving them something good but as the opposite of the favoritism thing if you find that there's one player in your group that in any way shape or form feels left out in some way in their player experience even if it's not the direct result of anyone in your group leaving them out just because of their past as a player if you can do something like that to make them feel good give them a boon give them an item something do it yeah 100% um I, I, that, Peps and I are just sitting here nodding our heads. Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, so let's move on to blessings. Um, blessings are uh, available in the DMG on page 228. And um, these are handed out by deities. So these are not just epic boons. Like you are so good that you have gained these skills. These are things that are actual divine intervention. They tend to be given for accomplishing things that are noteworthy to even the gods. So if the gods have taken a second to stop, look down at these mortals, raise an eyebrow and go, oh yeah, okay, here you go. They will hand out one of these blessings. Um, And again, they should be useful moving forward. So this should be in preparation for the plot and not just handed out on a whim. Um, The idea here is that these are magical bonuses that ignore anti-magic fields and similar effects. So these will always work because divine magic is more powerful than mortal magic. And only the god that grants the blessing should be able to take it away. You could, in theory, have it forever, rules as written. 
It's possible for a character to receive more than one blessing in their lifetime, but it's incredibly rare to have two blessings at once, and blessings don't stack. So if you get the same blessing three or four times, that's it. That's just what you got. For example, the blessing of health. Your constitution goes up by two, um, up to a maximum of 22, right? So um, you could get this blessing more than once, but it's not like you're stacking that plus two over and over and over again. Um, for me, this feels like something that that you would hand out anytime after late tier two, like a plus two to constitution is good, but it's not killer. And I wouldn't hand it out super late because you're not going to get the hit point bonuses on level ups, right? Like something like level eight or up, I'd hand out this, this blessing. Um, and I'd give it out to like, Hexblade Warlocks, Monks with Bad Hit Points, um, it, it, any party with only one frontline fighter. This this is where I would start thinking about this specific blessing. So I know we've got a handful of others, so let's grab dice and uh, and roll. 13. I, 20. I got a 19, and I'm going second. All right, Peps, <laughs> what's, uh, what's your first blessing? All right, my first one is the Blessing of Wound Closure. Um so this gives you the same benefit as the periapt of wound closure, which is a pendant. I think that's how you say it. Yep. Um, so there are two ways to get this ability. Um, at the start of your turn, if you are dying, you're stabilized. Also, if you roll a hit dice for HP, you get double the amount back. I do have a quick question for you guys on that. If you have a bard who's playing the Song of Rest, would you also double that dice roll? Is this you're getting hit points back, or when you roll for it hit says, points? When if you, level? you roll a hit dice for HP, you get double the amount back. So I took that as like if you so, have a short rest and you're right. doing and you're rolling for Why hit points. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I'd give this a, a very high level. Uh, basically, allows you not to die. Um, especially being a blessing, at least with the pendant, it could be broken or stolen. This just is. Um, I could see it being granted to maybe a life cleric, maybe after they've been or they've saved someone very important's life, or perhaps if they've died and their deity comes to them and says that they aren't finished with their mission yet and sends them back. Yeah, I I like that. Yours is is better than mine. Um, I I got blessing <laughs> of protection. Where your AC and all saving throws, including death saves, get a plus one bonus. Like that's good. That that's useful. But I mean, I'm handing this out in tier three. It's the death saves and the saving throws where the real power is, not the AC. Um, and uh, I'm really only gonna hand this out if I sense really bad party imbalance that I want to fix. If one person is consistently failing every save, um, the squishy characters are the ones gonna be begging for health potions they're probably the ones with bad dexterity saves this is these are the people i'm going to hand it out to you know the rogue is always sneaking uh into battle and then turns around and gets fucking wailed on or the blade singer wizard or a tier three circle of the moon druid right so i i'm gonna i'm gonna hand these out to my d8 uh hit point players right first one i have is the blessing of magic resistance uh, this gives you advantage on saves against magic effects and spells. Um, while I understand that gnomes get this at level one, um, I would ideally prefer to give this around tier three levels, like 11 to 15. Uh, and contrary to what people may instinctively want to give it to casters, I think it'd be way more fun if you have a, go a god of order or balance or war, give it to a barbarian or a fighter who is driven to disrupt casters by this kind of ability. Um, I think it could be more fun given that way than to just say, 
give it to the wizard. Yeah, I would. I think you're absolutely right. I love the idea of adding magical, you know, protection to your melee characters, except the paladin. They they got enough shit already. <laughs> um, in the same order, Peps. We uh, we got more. There are more blessings. So so much more. <laughs> Um, my next one is the Blessing of Understanding. Your wisdom score increases by two up to a maximum of 22. Uh, this is one of the few things I've seen that allows you to go past 20 as your score. Um, so I'd probably hold off until maybe level 10 or so to give this out. Since it's called the Blessing of Understanding, I think I'd grant it to a player who solved a really hard puzzle or pieced together a big plot point before any of the other players. So if you have like that one player who really dives deep and trying to figure out what's going on, I think that's the person I would give it to. So I have a quick question because I had one that was about the plus two to con up to 22. Mm -hmm. And I know what my answer is, and I'm pretty sure I know what you guys are going to say, but I just want to point out if your character, for example, has a 18 and you know that they are they want to get up to 20 in their best stat right and so you hand them this and it pushes them up to 20 will you allow them to go up to 22 on their next ability score increase or will you say no that's it i would yeah i would yeah me too absolutely I, like i think it's part uh, otherwise of the blessing it's not... that they can go up to 22 it, exactly like it's it's built right into it so i'm with mm -hmm. you cool, cool, the, cool the um the lore bard undead warlock in my strad campaign has a charisma of 22 i'm sorry jeff it's, it's gotta... been a blast, actually. <laughs> um, all right, my next one was the Blessing of Valhalla, um, where you get to summon 2d4 plus 2 spirit warriors from Isgard within 60 feet of you. They use the Berserker stat block, and they last until they hit zero hit points or an hour passes, whichever comes first. Once you use this blessing, you can't use it again until seven days have passed. This is going to be a blessing that I hand out with like secret conditions that will give a finite number of uses or yeah. a finite number of days that can be there. There should be an understanding with the player that this isn't a permanent blessing because you are fucking up initiative with oh, yeah. this. This is a massive summoning boost. Um, and this will imbalance and you know they're going to save it for the boss battle. Of course. Um, it's clearly meant for barbarians. Um, I would say some lore bards would, would get use out of this or maybe some rangers. Someone with ties to, you know, the frigid north, you know, dwarves, goliaths, shit like that. These are the berserkers that I'm thinking about. Orcs, if you have an orc player as well. Um, but this is so powerful. I got to give this super late tier because berserkers are not going to, they're going to eat up my my combat, my initiative, but they're not going to imbalance the fight against a lich. You know what I mean? Right. All right. My next one is the blessing of weapon enhancement. Any one non-magical item you're in possession of becomes a plus one when you're using it. Um, honestly, I think this one is one that I would give early. I would give this maybe around tier two. If you wait too long to give this out, it's completely useless because your party already has a whole bag full of magic weapons they're already not using. And nobody gives a shit about a plus one magical anything because none of the weapons they're, they're carrying at a certain point are mundane. Give it early. Let them get a kick out of it when they can be flexible and use it and aren't collecting crap already. Um, mm -hmm. Fun uh, thought I had due to the wording of the ability, a dagger throwing rogue would benefit handsomely from this blessing. 
Uh, any player character where the player likes to switch up weapons for fun, this would be a great gift. But if it's any weapon, any one weapon you're in possession of, it makes no mention of number of times per day, switching from one weapon to another, costing anything in action economy. So if you literally have a rogue who bought a bag of 20 daggers and throws one and then throws another one, every one he takes out of the bag is a plus one until it hits something. And then the next one's a plus one. And the next one's a plus one, which could be a ton of fun. I, I like that. Um, I, I handed up something similar um, to one of my players in the last campaign, where not only um, would they were they plus one, they would also return in one minute back into the bandolier they were wearing. And each yeah. one did a different damage type, right? So like, I really like this kind of shit, but that was tier four. So the plus one didn't matter too much. It does say any one non-magical weapon and it specifically says any one non-magical weapon. But honestly, your use for this that you just listed is fucking ideal. Right. right? Once you throw it and you hit something with it, you're not in possession of it anymore. So exactly. any the next one non-magical weapon automatically becomes plus one if you decide it is. Mm -hmm. As long as you're rid it from your person, you automatically can allocate it to the next weapon you have in your possession. Can you imagine the barbarian of throwing axes? You just end this one. It'd end this one. Awesome! It would be so much fun, <laughs> and I would love to work with the DM to build a character around getting that blessing for fun, just for shits. Now there are two more blessings from Rhyme of the Frost Maiden as well. So you guys have those. Um, Peps, what do you got? I have the blessing of the Morning Lord. Um, you gain 10 hit points or temporary hit points each day at dawn. I think this one, uh, could be gifted at a lower level, maybe starting at five or so at very high levels, 10 temporary hit points isn't going to matter. Um, we have a player in one of our campaigns that is a cleric of the morning Lord Lathander. He spends his downtime carving wooden symbols and even spent months in game learning how to carve these and being taught by NPCs like we were on a ship for months and that's all he did in his downtime was carved holy symbols um, and then handed them out to every NPC that we <laughs> found and told him the good word of Lathander. So I would give them out to a player like that that is like clearly dedicated to this um god and that kind of thing like if they're playing that much into the rp of it then i'd give it to them one of the things that i love to do with this shit i love the wording you know once per day at dawn mm -hmm. i'm going to come up with a reason for them to do something just before dawn and i'm going to drop this player to like zero hit points so they're making death saves just so that they come back with 10 hit points because the sun rose so they can mm -hmm. stand back up again for uh, like a certain amount of time and get those those fucking heals. That's going to feel really good with that blessing. Mm -hmm. All right. I have the blessing of the Frost Maiden. Uh, you gain cold immunity and flavor text. Cold eyes, whatever that means. Have fun with it. Describe your character in a new way. And you get to cast Kona Cold once per day. Uh, Kona Cold is a fifth level spell. It is a powerful damaging spell. Um... I would definitely never hand this out before level seven, and that's pushing it low. You don't generally get access to this spell until level nine for primary casters. I think letting it be powerful when they get it is okay, potentially. Uh, but if you're going to give it at lower levels and let them do it once per day, it can't last forever. It can only last a certain number of uses and it's gone. If you want to have it be permanent once per day, I'd say wait until maybe level 11, 12, 13 because then it's just another tool in their bag and not something that's an instant tilt to a boss fight once per day. Um, Warlock, Sorcerer, Druid are where I lean for um, classes 
certain types of paladins and clerics, depending on the feel and flavor of how they've built them. It could be fun with a Tempest cleric, um, Janassi, Goliath, gnomes, elves. De again, depending on the flavor of the character in question, I are where I tend to lean for handing this out. Like a like a white dragonborn wizard. Yeah. Speaking of dragonborn, we also have draconic gifts beyond these blessings as well. So um these are in Fizban's Treasury of Dragons on page 28. Uh, and much like the blessings were handed out by gods, these are bestowed by dragons. Um, it's really the same kind of flavor and thought that we have here, although all of the abilities, all of these draconic rifts, uh, gifts are absolutely based on the feel of a dragon. So um, Pepperina's eyes have lit up now. Like, <laughs> we weren't really paying attention before, but here we go. Um, what's this interesting here, here. <laughs> what's interesting here is... Uh, they say that um, each one of these has uh, like a rarity like you would normally have for uh, magic items. But depending on how rare it is, that'll tell you which level of dragon will hand it out. So if you get a, a draconic gift from a wormling, it's like an uncommon level of boost. So it's like when they were designing Fizbins, they were, so I'm saying it like Pepperina, now, Fizbins. Fizban's <laughs> Treasury of Dragons. <laughs> um, uh, it's like when they were designing it, they were aware of the fact that these are not all the same level. And this is kind of your guide on when you want to hand these out. Um, do you guys want to keep the same initiative or should we roll dice again? Whatever. I'm good with whatever. Oh, hell, let's roll. You got it. Five. Three. Fourteen. All right. So <laughs> I liked my 20 better. <laughs> um, the first... The first one that I have is an uncommon one. Um, so you're supposed to get this from a wormling, and uh, that is the Tongue of the Dragon. You essentially radiate power and presence like a dragon, and it lets you have advantage on persuasion checks. Uh, you can also use a bonus action to have a booming voice that can be heard 300 feet away for one minute, and you're fluent in Draconic. That's reading and writing and, and understanding it. So um, I'd hand this out at any level. This doesn't... Yeah. Swing anything. A level two bard would be really impressive and fun, and I have not broken my game with this. It's neat and flavorful, and it really speaks to the majesty of dragons, Um, so I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I'd also want to give this to a dragonborn, or I think a kobold would be funny. Anyone with a tie to dragons, like an ascended dragon monk, or a draconic sorcerer, anything like that, where, where I just want to give them a little bit more to make them feel a little bit better. Um, I really like the idea of the kobold with the booming voice, though. That that makes me happy. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Especially if you put them in a place where loud noises make things fall down. Like inside their own warrens. Yeah. Who's right. next? I, I That would be me. I have uh, Draconic Rebirth, which is uncommon. This is kind of a weird one for, uh, not complicated, but weird for reasons I'll explain. You become a dragonborn. Full stop. Uh, you, yeah, a dragon makes you a dragonborn of the same chromatic or metallic or gem variety that that dragon is. Uh, you, yeah, you can either keep the skills gained from the race you were, or you can pick two from whatever you want, but it, uncommon implies a relatively low level of entry, but if it's a low level character, if they wanted to be a dragonborn, they would have picked dragonborn. So you might consider giving this at higher levels if you've worked up to the potential of the class that makes the most sense for this becoming a champion of a dragon, which is paladin, 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 and paladin. 
to groom, have a dragon groom a player character to become my guardian, my champion, my voice in the world. But to do so, you must become kin of dragons and work them into it. Otherwise, it just feels weird if you go, yeah, I know you're level three and like two months ago, you picked half elf. You want to be a dragonborn now? It's weird. You want to know what I immediately thought of for this one was um, there is a dragon cult and everybody in it is a half dragon, dragonborn or kobold and your yeah. guys have to infiltrate it. So your gold, your ancient gold dragons, just like, hey, now you're dragonborns. When you come back and see me, I will fix this. But for now, you're dragonborns. Go infiltrate. Yeah, Everybody gets a breath weapon. The alternate would be instead to use this on NPCs and to have the players figure out that this entire cult again of dragonborn weren't all dragonborn three months ago. There were a couple of UNT and an elf and a tiefling and six halflings. And now they're all dragonborn, but none of them act like dragonborn for some reason. Get weird yeah, with it. It's like weird that. as it is. I like, I like it's wild. <laughs> all right. I have a draconic familiar. Um, basically you are gifted a draconic familiar. <laughs> um, you get a little pseudo dragon that follows you around. You get to cast find familiar um, as a ritual to have that pseudo dragon. It always shows up as a pseudo dragon. You cannot change the look of it. Um, an additional feature of it is when you make the attack action, you can forego one of your own attacks and this will make an attack as a reaction instead. Again, okay. this is uncommon. Um, I think you could really use it at any level. Um, that foregoing one of your attacks isn't going to come into play until fifth level because nobody gets a second attack until fifth level. Um, Did... There's so like few classes that get familiars, and I think everybody wants one. So I like I don't yeah. have a problem with just if you have a player who, who really is into dragons like me, um, <laughs> who wants a familiar but wants to play something that doesn't get one, this is a great way to give them that. Um, yeah. It's not going to break your game, especially if it's a smaller party. It's not going to throw off your action economy and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's a really good way to give that flavor of having a little familiar follow you around. I just had a, um, I just created a paladin whose oath was to an ancient dragon. So I think this would be an easy way for that type of any any player that is connected to dragons at all, I think, could be gifted this. I'm super inspired now to hand this out, but instead of it being pseudo-dragons, make it fairy dragons. Everyone no, in the, no, 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 no. The, I, I was thinking everyone in the party gets one. This is like your tier three. Everybody in the party gets one, but they're all a different color. Mm -hmm. See, I was going a different direction and not a, you know, dragon type familiar uh how about a gazer i gave a gazer as a familiar um <laughs> to casey actually once she named it bubbles and all it did was run around and, go, <laughs> yeah. and then attack anybody anybody even other party members with the most annoying thing that that it could um it used to just chew on people's boots while they were asleep and stuff like it was just an annoying dog but and every once in a while it would get into combat and just totally fuck up everything except her i have a little bit of a sadistic streak as a DM, which I think all DMs kind of have to a little bit. Uh, I love the concept of an inflicted familiar, not a gifted or earned familiar. And gazers really fill that niche of, I know you didn't ask for this. I know you really don't want this. You're going to have this now. It's going to drive you nuts. And if you kill it, it will just come back tomorrow, which we've heard from Adam before with the knob goblin. 
<laughs> but <laughs> let, 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 <clears throat> I, I love it, a good inflicted familiar. I've got one that's locked and loaded and ready to go. We had um, my party took a little detour through Barovia, and they were plane hopping a little bit. And they went through Barovia, and they had to go up Mount Baratok, and they stopped uh, halfway up at, at a Vistani encampment. And uh, there was it was abandoned, but there was an elephant there, and Dan wanted the elephant. He wanted a pet elephant. Of course he did. And, and then my player, Charlie, was like, hey, you know what? Um, I promise to get you an elephant if you fucking stop dicking around and we get up to the top of the mountain, leave this elephant alone. I will buy you an elephant when we get to, to a place that has elephants. And then Charlie's character died. Yes. So... Dan is still owed an elephant, and all of the characters that have died in my campaign are still invisible ghosts wandering around, and my players don't know this yet, but they're still going to be influencing the campaign as ghost NPCs, helping the party in little bits and, and little ways. I'm going to have Charlie's character come back as a Hollyphant familiar. I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> and I am so fucking excited about it. Oh, yeah. As soon as you said he died, I'm like, ooh, Hollyphant. This like <laughs> this is like this is like a beneficent haunting. It's also going to frustrate the shit out of him because he yep. was a a really edge lord shifter rogue. So like <laughs> this is this is fucking hilarious. The yep. Hollyphant that does not want to be a Hollyphant. So anyway, sorry sidebar. What else do we have? Um, more draconic gifts. My next one is draconic senses, and it is rare. And the idea here is that you look. Dragons have keen senses. You you get it too. Also, you get blind sight. Um, but only out to a range of 10 feet, uh, which means that you can see effectively anything that isn't behind total cover. Um, and even if you're blinded or in darkness, you see them. So also you can see invisible creatures within that range um, unless they successfully hide from you. But I don't think there's a whole lot of hiding within 10 feet unless you're dealing with really like tiny creatures like Fae and whatnot. So um, and then on top of that, um, yeah, there's the keen senses, which is advantage on perception checks. And I would say is almost more important long term than um, than the being able to see invisible creatures. Invisible creatures pop up what once every handful of sessions, maybe. Perception checks are multiple times every session with advantage. That's really really useful. So, and let's not forget that an advantage to perception checks is a plus five to passive perception. Yeah, it's so, huge. Yeah, this is this is really big. That's why it's rare, which means they kind of want you to give this out and like. Tier two, that is roughly when I would hand this out. That makes sense to me. Um, eventually, the rogue in the party and the and the bard, anybody that has expertise is going to surpass this. But this is going to get you through um, tier two. And also, every time you split the party, you will have two freaking radar dishes, one in each one in each group. So, all right, I have frightful presence. <laughs> this is very rare uh, and incidentally very powerful. Um, Basically, you get the a very similar frightful presence to what a dragon gets. It is an aura with 120 feet. It is a DC related to your charisma modifier. Um, it makes basically anybody that fails the save within a massive, massive radius of you makes them frightened of you. And you can do this a number of times up to your proficiency bonus per day, which is a lot when you should be getting this. It's potentially huge. Um, all that said, as much as this feels like it's intended to be something you'd give, you know, a charisma character like a paladin because of the, the DC being tied to it, I think this would be way more fun to have a dragon find attachment to and give it to the one person in the group that dumped charisma. 
So it doesn't really work that reliably, but when it does, holy shit, is it useful? I've got for my next one, Psionic Reach. Um, This one is very rare. Psionic Reach around? <laughs> um, you basically are empowered with the Gym Dragon's uh, Psionic Mind, or um, and that gives you a resistance to psychic damage. You also gain the Telekinesis spell. Um, you can cast that without expending a spell slot. However, you can also use one of your spell slots if you have one of the appropriate level. So it's not just a once and done. If you do have spell slots, you can use it. Um, and uh, Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma will be your spellcasting ability for that. I think I'd give this one somewhere around 10 to 15. It says it's very rare. Um, the way that I would do it is if the players killed a gem dragon. When the dragon dies in that explosion of magic, it would either hit the character closest to it or whoever did the killing blow. And just that massive amount of power would hit them so hard that it would fuse with that player. Um, we've had something similar happen in-game killing a white dragon where the power exploded and gave gifts to different players that were close to it. Um, I would go in with a lot of flavor with it though. I wouldn't just, here you go, you have psychic um, immunity and telekinesis. I would start to sprinkle that out. I would have the PC like hearing voices in their head, objects moving across the room, especially if it was like a tank that hit and did the killing blow and was right there and doesn't have any magic and doesn't understand what's going on. Um, I think it would take some time to get used to that and be able to control it. So I would just have it like randomly pop off. That would be particularly fun if your group has fought a lot of poltergeists in the past and they think that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. This also gives you a great NPC to train them on how to use it later. And then, you know, if it was a topaz dragon then their eyes glow or turn the color of topaz or whatever it is when the when the gem dragon like once they can control the power is what mm -hmm. i mean right so that's a really fun little like positive mystery to hand out yeah um now there were a couple of more do you guys have uh breakdowns for the other two um yeah i've got one oh, what do you got jeff i have the echo of dragon sight which i'm actually going to lean a little bit on Pepsi's inspiration for the last one so this one's also very rare um this one gives you awareness and connection to a dragon on another world within the material plane um this is a dragon that's going to be an echo a connection of a dragon on your plane uh that's the source of where this came from uh which may affect their feelings towards you as a player character um, I think similarly to what you just described, Peps, that this would be very interesting for when you slay a powerful dragon, they press their mind upon you as punishment to connect you to themselves in echo form. So yeah, you can contact them and potentially seek advice from them, but they hate you because they know yeah. what you did to their <laughs> other form. Um, and to just have your mind linked to another incarnation of a dragon you murdered. Mm -hmm. could be a lot of fun yeah and i think like dragons are very egotistical where they would not just like they would want their consciousness and their being to be extended even if it was to somebody that they hated like they would oh. whoever's closest to them like you know right so technically the mechanics is that you can ritual cast contact other plane and the target mm -hmm. is an, a, the other dragon but you could finagle and play with that a little bit as a dm to make it a little more of an active connection when the players 
don't want to talk to the other dragon mm-hmm. could be fun. Yeah. Um, my next one is scaled toughness. Um, this makes your skin tougher. It um gives you resistance to piercing and slashing damage. Um, and this is a legendary gift. I would definitely give this with some flavor on how it starts happening. Um, with the name Scaled Toughness, I would describe it to the player as maybe at first their skin starts to itch in a spot. The more they scratch, the skin flakes off, revealing a scale underneath. Um, I wouldn't change all of their skin in this way. I wouldn't want to completely change the look of the PC unless they wanted that. Um, but then I guess you could just give them that Dragonborn one <laughs> where they turn into a Dragonborn. Um but I'd give a couple spots where scales start to appear. I think this could be added into any of the dragon-related subclasses pretty easily. A draconic bloodline sorcerer especially sticks out to me. Uh, we know our magic casters can be a bit squishy, so giving them a little damage resistances could help them immensely. Um, it says it's legendary. I would probably go 10 or above, um, especially if it's to a caster or something. Um, but you could really give it to any player that has a connection to some sort of dragon lineage, I think. So my question for you then is, does it scale? Uh, Actually, the thing I was going to mention about this that I thought of, uh, it's been discussed on this podcast before that on some people, uh, when players either get knocked unconscious or take critical hits, they'll get scars from the, the attack. I think with something like scaled toughness, it could be interesting that the sight of a wound that knocks you unconscious or of a critical hit, that's where the scales start to appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be some fun flavor too. Yeah, you I also like in the places you've taken injuries. I also like the idea too that like your elbows are itchy, which is such a weird just thing that a DM says. Like, hey, you're uh, you're taking watch. You're second. All right, you're sitting there. Uh, roll a perception check. Nothing happens. It's uneventful tonight, but your elbows are itchy. <laughs> And then that shit keeps happening until they're like, all right, what is my fucking deal with the elbow? <laughs> and then they stop and like look at them and the, they've got scales growing too. Mm-hmm. They've just got bad eczema. All right. So the next thing here is if it's not from a god and it's not from a dragon, maybe it's just supernatural. There are a handful of what's called supernatural gifts that are available in the Mystic Odysseys of Theros. Now, these are still kind of attached to godlike. Well, I mean, it's Theros. It's all about the gods, right? But there's some stuff. These blessings are a little bit different. They're not quite just like, you know, the god of war gives you a freaking hammer, right? Like, they're a little bit more involved here. um, And it gets into the idea of um, more of the Greek theme of god blessing instead of the the weird D&D pantheon. So um, these are, again, bestowed upon characters, uh, player characters. They can be given by the gods, but... These ones can also just be given by powerful creatures like sphinxes or archdruids or genies. Um, some of them are more powerful than others. So you're going to kind of get a feel for like what level of monster, creature, demigod or god is going to hand this out. Now, they could be actually born with this heroic trait, uh, at which point, you know, they get this at level one or during character creation, um, or they could gain it along the way. It's definitely written up to be a little bit like uh, an addition to a background. So it's supposed to be handed out, you know, during character creation. That's the feel anyway. Um, but I like I like fucking with my players and just dropping this on the middle of, you know, the campaign. So um, there is one from the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. 
So I want to touch on that one briefly before we roll dice. Um, and that one is called Hollow One. This is not to be confused with the background from Curse of Strahd. So uh, the supernatural gift Hollow One is given to someone who's been brought back from the dead for some unknown purpose. In Wildmount, it's tied to an inherently magical land called Blightshore, uh, but it doesn't have to be if you're going to use it in your own homebrew or in a Forgotten Realms campaign or whatever. Uh, it essentially represents an emptiness where your soul used to be. There's like a void there now. You don't age naturally or magically, and no spell can force you to age. You gain one hit point um, on a death save that rolls 16 or higher, which means you're coming back a lot easier. Keeping in mind, you need to roll 11 to 20 to stabilize. Now, half of that just brings you back. Um, you're still your creature type, but detection magic sees you as undead. So if somebody scries or anything, or they um, do like uh, detect good or evil, like this is the this is how you read now. You are undead. It's going to freak out your paladin the first time that they try that shit. Um, and then also uh, on top of that, as an action, you unnerve a creature within 15 feet of you that can see you. And for the next minute, they have disadvantage on the next saving throw. This doesn't affect creatures immune to being frightened. Un it uh, also doesn't affect undead or constructs. And you only get to use this once per long rest. So I really like this. I thought it was really flavorful, really neat. Um, but the ones in Theros... Those supernatural gifts actually give you a D6 table with like characteristics or plot hook inspiration stuff too. So I would like to like, I don't know, pick one at random, guys. Let's not go through all of these D6 tables, right? So um, do you guys want to roll initiative and we can see uh we can see who's gonna go first? 19. Not 20. Ha! The exact reverse of what we did before. <laughs> Jeff, whatever you roll doesn't matter. Deuce. <laughs> Bringing up the end. That, that, that's <laughs> not, not what I have to do later, but, you know, <laughs> um, that other thing. So my first one is Anvil Rot. And this one is uh, is interesting. So this is clearly meant as part of your backstory um, right from the beginning, part of your, like, background. Um, you were created in the Forge of a God. Your skin looks metallic and your joints are clearly visible as joints. The name of the game here is that you're super durable. You have advantage on saves against the poison condition and you have resistance to poison damage. You don't drink, eat, sleep, or breathe. You also can't be put to, to uh, sleep at all by magical means. You're immune to disease. When you take a long rest, you have to spend six hours of it being absolutely still. You are clearly awake and not unconscious, and you can see and hear normally. Um, I rolled for the characteristics on the D6 table ahead of time, and the one I got was, um, I was created decades ago, and fearing that I'm growing obsolete, recently fled my home. So that's kind of tied into your backstory. This is clearly meant for people that don't have the opportunity to play Warforged or Auto Gnomes, but but want to do that. If I'm in Theros, maybe I'll do this to an artificer. I think that's a cool thing. Like I was created and now I create others. So like there's some fun and interesting ways of going about this. I This is not something that I would give a player. I would suggest this if they might be interested in it. Um, for the most part, though, I think the players are going to be the ones that have to choose this. And then that's got to be greenlit by the DM because there's a lot of immunities and shit that you don't have to worry about, right? Like, you were adding a robot to our Greek campaign is a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. You're against Greek robots? Um, I'm having trouble. Uh, oh, the only one I could think of off the top of my head was the owl from Clash of the Titans. What was his name? You know what I'm talking about? No. There's a Windex reference in there somewhere, though. 
<laughs> All right. Peps, <laughs> rescue All right. me. <laughs> I have Oracle, and this is this is a beefy one. Um, so oracles are given their gift from gods to clearly communicate with the realm of the divine. This allows you to connect with a god for insights you would not otherwise be able to know. Typically, you will choose one god to communicate with and ignore all others. On occasions, two gods will work together to connect in the, to the same oracle. Oracles who try to stay free from picking a god will often be persuaded by evil gods and can be trapped and bound to them. Having the gift of the oracle does also come with a curse in which we have a d8 table of possibilities um so that is called your flaw your oracle curse i'm often distracted by the sights and sounds of things that other people can't perceive is just one random one off of there there are several traits you also gain with becoming an oracle the first being ears of the oracle you can now speak read and write celestial a god can now deliver a message through you. You can either deliver this message in your voice or the god's, and it can be translated in any language you know. Next is Oracle's Insight, which allows you to roll a d10 and add it to any ability check. You can do this after you roll the d20, but before the DM says if it's a fail or success. You can do this once until you take a short or a long rest. And that brings us to Oracle's Piety. As you gain piety points as an oracle, you gain these abilities instead of the standard ones for that god. Pe peps, uh, peps, it's piety. Piety. Because See, you're I pious. You. <laughs> I told you that I was going to say so many things wrong today. Piety. <laughs> We're not at right. so many. We're at one or two. You're good. Yeah, yeah, you're doing all right so far. All right. The first uh, piety that you get is Augur um, with three points, and you can cast Augury with this trait. Um, pretty much everything is um, once on a long rest that I'm going to go over. Um, Seer with 10 piety points. You can cast Divination as a ritual. Sybil uh, is 25 piety points, and you can cast Commune as a ritual. You also can't be surprised provided you aren't incapacitated. Divine Oracle for 50 piety points. You can increase your intelligence or wisdom score by two, as well as increasing your maximum for the chosen score by two. Oracles come with a lot of things and seem to be rather specific, so I don't see myself just throwing this into any random campaign like some of the other things that we've went over. Um, this would have to be a very gods heavy campaign and would likely go to a cleric or perhaps paladin, though I do like the flavor of the evil gods using it as well. And that could be fun to beef up a warlock a bit more. Um, I'm not sure if I would give all of these things out or spread them out over a couple levels. Um, or to give them to a new player. Like this is a lot. Like if you have a new player who's coming in and you throw this at them, that is so many things to try and keep track of. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I would give this to like your seasoned player who knows their stuff um, and has done these kind of things and and maintaining maintaining different gifts and um, items and that sort of thing. Your seasoned ADHD player that needs lots of yes. stuff to do so they can stay focused on the game and not yeah. pick up their phone in distraction. This is for your DM that finally gets to play. So, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I also see this as a good option for um, divining wizards and uh, for Kalistar as well. 
right? Mm -hmm. Would would probably blend with this nicely. If you take out yeah. the God side and make it more about dreams. So like Circle of Dreams Druid as well. Like there's some options with a little bit of reflavoring. I think it's a lot of fun and I really liked it, but you're absolutely right. This is for bored forever DMs that finally get to have a go at it. Yeah. All right. I have something called Nyxborn. You are crafted from God stuff. From dreams, feelings, memories of gods or other inscrutable beings. You are like the embodiment of the thoughts of a being whose thoughts just don't make sense to people. Super like philosophy nerd stuff. It's probably just kind of weird to a lot of players. But if you get into some, some player that really likes to get into the head of strange philosophical arguments with their characters, this could be a lot of fun. Um trying to figure out the origin of how this comes to be. Um, the One of the six examples that was given that I thought was the most fun was I was rescued from the underworld and took on supernatural characteristics when I returned to life. Um, it's nebulous and kind of hard to put your finger on what exactly this means uh, without going on for a half an hour. Uh, definitely worth checking out, but not worth spending half an hour on right now. Um, the, <laughs> the two things that you get out of it that are pretty fun and powerful... One of them is Nyxborn Resistance, uh, which straight up is resistance to necrotic and radiant damage, which, depending on the cam campaign you're playing, is either not that useful or very, very fucking useful. Um, the other is called Cloak of Stars, and you can use an action to basically wrap yourself in a Cloak of Stars that gives you, once a day, for a minute, unless you decide to turn it off without an action or die, with no concentration, all attack rolls against you have disadvantage. Full stop. This is something you give to a high-level, second-line melee, uh, not a tank, but like the monk or the rogue that darts in and out of the front line that doesn't have uh, a ton of hit points compared to a barbarian or a paladin. Someone that needs to get up front, but needs to also not get punched to death by stone giants. Uh, the ability to dart in and out of the fray and not get hit. Incredibly useful for that kind of character. Um, tier 3 minimum. This is super, super powerful. I feel like this is something that you slowly understand and unlock eventually. Like, yeah. like your character was always this and you're getting plot, like plot point clues about it for levels and levels and levels before you actually start to get shit from it. It's right. like a long yeah. con from a DN. Um, interestingly, this one really feels like the Oracle 2, now I'm thinking about it. This These things fit in Spelljammer pretty well, because there are all sorts of dead gods floating around in there. And so yeah. getting imbued by a lot of these this Theros stuff um, might just be you getting too close to the corpse of a dead god, or an aspect of the dead god's spirit you know, imbues you as you fly through this weird, you know, blue cloud out there and suddenly you glow and boof, you you get this Nyxborn thing. Also, potentially, if your high-level party accidentally punctures a bag of holding and I'll get sucked into the astral plane, this could be a fun thing that happens to one of the players in like a half a session diversion from your plot as they, you know, they, they oops and end up with this ability and then have to figure out what the hell happened over the course of a period of time. So... My next one is uh, called Heroic Destiny. And the idea here is that your destiny keeps you going. And so, therefore, you're hard to kill. We're getting a lot of the same theme on a lot of these boons is that, like, it's a lot of protection, healing, and help on death saves. Again, this one is advantage on death saves. Also, once per long rest, you can choose to drop to one hit point instead of zero 
assuming that you aren't killed outright. There are, are a couple of other ways to get that um, specific thing. So I wouldn't stack this on, um, is it half orcs that do that? Like once per rest, like there, or is it orcs? There's one of the playable orcs. Yeah, one of the playable races does it. Also, one of the barbarian subclasses does it as well. So also I shadow sorcerers. It. Sorry, shadow sorcery. Yeah, so like I'm not handing this out to those those characters. I don't want to double up. Like that's that's useless to me. Um, the D6 option uh, that I rolled in this one is, I'm destined to liberate my beloved from the underworld. <laughs> so that's that's some real. Greek shit right there. I, I like that well enough. Um, I think I want this for the most unlikely of characters. Like, I want this to go to a lazy bugbear uh, or the cowardly halfling or the Vettelkin that doesn't believe in fate and I now give them this, like, heroic destiny that they can't deny. Um, I, and I also like this for squishy characters, like a sorcerer or a wizard who will get the most use out of this Um because there's never anything like that for spellcasters, right, as a general rule. So this is something where I'm going to go kind of counter type so that it feels a little bit more big and epic as opposed to just plopping this down on a, another fighter. Okay. Um, my next one is Iconoclast. Am I saying that right? Iconoclast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Iconoclast do not deny the existence of gods. They do, however, deny the idea that the gods are worthy of being worshipped and listened to. This idea is very common among Leonin, but really anyone from any culture can believe in this. Your denial of their existence is so strong, it gives you the gift to resist their influences, giving you the following traits. Um, the first one being enlightened protection. You can cast the protection from evil and good. With this trait, targeting only yourself and requiring no spell components. Um, again, most of these, once you do so, you can only do it once per long rest. Um, reject the gods. You can't gain or lose piety to any god. Um, you instead gain the following traits at your character level listed in each one. So at fifth level, you get iconoclast hero. You can cast the spell magic. Um, at 11th level, you get Iconoclast Paragon. You can cast Dispel Evil and Good. Um, in addition, when you cast Dispel Magic using your Iconoclast Hero trait, you cast it as a 4th level spell. Iconoclast Archetype at 17th level, you can cast Anti-Magic Field. And in addition, when you cast Dispel Magic, you can cast it at a 5th level now. We get a D6 table of characteristics. Um... I blame the gods for the death of those I cared about. I think this could be given at a fairly low level um, since it is in there that they sort of roll out the abilities with as you level. Um, the first one being at fifth level, so I would at least give it out by then. Um, in one of our campaigns, we had a PC who had the phrase, no gods, no masters, tattooed across his chest. And was very well known for denouncing the power of gods. I think this would be an absolutely perfect PC to give this gift to. Absolutely. I also feel like Perseus from um, Flash of the Titans, who like had his whole family fucking killed and all this stuff. Like that's that's another character who's just like, you know what? We don't worship these bastards. Yeah. All right, they're there. Would definitely be high up on the list of people you'd give this to. Letter Tieflings too. Like, why me? 
right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you could have a lot of the. I have seen so many rogues that I don't believe in a god. That that's who this is for, right? Mm-hmm. All right, I have one called Unscarred, and this is clearly inspired by Achilles. Uh, this is a damage reduction ability. Um, the D6 table offers a couple of fairly Achilles feeling origins to it. Um, one of which, uh, you know, when I was wounded as a child, a god healed me. Now wounds are reluctant to undo the god's work. And several of them kind of have that Achilles or coming back from the dead and now I'm harder to kill kind of vibe. Uh, unscarred resilience is the ability you get from this. Um, you can use a reaction when you take damage to roll a d12 plus your constitution modifier and reduce the damage by that. Uh, this is once per short or long rest. So this is adding another way to burst heal your melee dudes. Um, you could give it to anybody, but it's probably most useful to somebody that's near the front as another tool in their toolbox to stay conscious. Sorry, I'm sitting here trying to unmute it, and I'm like, why is my mouse not working? Yep, been there. <laughs> um, my last one is uh, called Pious, and this is not to be confused with the piety system that they have in Theros. Um, this is just another supernatural gift, and it's for characters who have been on their God's good side for a long, long time due to faith and worship. So kind of the opposite of the iconoclast that you covered, Peps. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea here is that you get to re-roll a failed saving throw, but you have to use a new roll. You get to do it once per long rest. You also get advantage on religion checks about your own God. That's not super powerful. This is like, I'd even hand this out to a level five character. This would be good for a character who's not playing a divine caster, but the backstory of the character involves worshiping a god of some sort. Yeah, so the quirk I got for it was, I can't prove it, but I suspect that my god might actually be my parent. So, again, that's super Greek. Look, if your mom had sex with a goose, chances are it was Zeus. So, like, uh, so, you know, you might be onto something there, but uh, that was pretty straightforward and pretty easy to wrap my brain around. You are pious. You can re-roll a failed saving throw. And then, I mean, how often do religion checks come up for you guys? Not for me, because I don't. I only play, like, bad clerics. <laughs> <laughs> I've developed a reputation for asking my players to roll things that a lot of DMs don't ask them to roll. Yeah. I get a fair amount of invo- uh, of use out of D100 and percentile rolls and religion and history checks that my players do not expect. Meanwhile, Peps is over there in the corner playing a fucking sexy bad nun. Right, like this is the cleric that I'm playing, and Jeff is like, "Roll a dungeon check. Let's get into it." Yeah. There are two kinds of D and D players. Yeah. yeah, my cleric um worships Umberly and got her powers by talking somebody else into drowning children. That's the type of cleric I play. Jesus, Peps. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. What's your yeah. next one? A uh, lifelong companion. Um, this gift is given to the best of the best support players. It is of the thought that every great hero has someone behind them giving them support, friendship, and love to make them that great. There could be no Batman without an Alfred to help guide them along the way. We do have a D6 table that gives how your character may have such an intense connection to warrant these gifts. Um It is stated that any connection made with another player requires that player's consent first. Once your relationship is established, you gain the following features. Boon Aura, your allies within five feet of you have advantage on saving throws 
against being frightened or charmed, provided you aren't incapacitated. And companion's protection, when a creature you can see within five feet of you is hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to cause the attack to hit you instead. Once you use this trait, you can't again until you finish a long rest. I don't think you have to wait super long to give this one out, um, but I wouldn't start at just level one. As a DM, I would want to see the players RPing that connection for a little while before gifting it. It relies heavily on the connection, so I'd want to see that happening. I wouldn't just, yeah, here you go. Like, if you come to me and say you want this, like, I'm going to need to see it happening for several sessions before it's gifted to you. I need to know you're committed to that role. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, the last one I have for this is inscrutable. Uh, you have, uh, as it says, a mind like a maze, uh, such as that of a sphinx um, or, you know, the blessing or curse of some god or inscrutable being, uh, hence the name. The instead of on an origin table, this one gets an inscrutable characteristics table, which I think is fun. Uh, my favorite of which is why wouldn't I phrase every statement with a question, which could get real that. annoying, but yeah. could be real fun <laughs> if you're the right type of player. Uh, you get psychic shield, which is resistant to psychic damage, and you get a thing called Sphinx's Shroud, uh, which is a little bit of mind shielding. You are immune to uh, things that allow other creatures to read your emotions or thoughts and advantage on, uh, I'm sorry, other things have disadvantage on insight checks in order to read your intentions or sincerity. So when the bad guys or your fellow players try to figure out if you're telling the truth or not, it's real hard to figure out what's going on up in that weird noggin of yours. I think this is a lot of fun for great old one warlocks. I think this is fun for clockwork soul sorcerers. Um, you know, cryptic, strange, or like cultist type characters could be fun to throw this at. Just, you know, people with brains that don't work like normal people's do. And just, you know, give them something to reflect that. Not super, super powerful, but could be a lot of fun for the right character. Um, you know, by all that's holy, don't give this to a bear totem barbarian so they have resistance to psychic damage. But, you know, Fair, why would yeah. you? So before, uh, before we wrap this episode up, let's cut to another ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. I think as fun as these are, do you guys prefer ones that are more flavor text or more mechanical for yours? Um, Let's roll one more time in this episode. Yeah. 12. I didn't want to roll another time. I, I, I take it back. That was bad. Uh, answer your own <laughs> am I, question. Am I first with the 12? Um, I, as a player, um, love the uh, more flavorful things. Um, even as a DM, if you give me something that you want to roll with and you're super into it and it has no real mechanical bonus or even if it does like if you can give me a good reason for your story and your character and why you want to play this i'm all about it um you know mechanically might tone it down if it's something super powerful and you're super low level but i love the weird things i love the chaotic things um 
I love the you randomly start to get scales or you randomly start to hear voices um, and coming up with a reason why and having to figure that out. I don't think they have to be game breaking gifts. I don't think they have to be super mechanically heavy um, to be fun. I could go either way. Um, I think both flavor or mechanical boons and gifts have their place. I think a lot of it really comes down to the tone and feel of the players and the campaign that you're in. And not necessarily the module, because some people, as we've discussed, play Curse of Strahd in a totally different way than others. And I keep bringing that up <laughs> because it's relevant to, you know, all three of us in some way or another. I just joined another Curse of Strahd campaign. <laughs> but like, you know, the motivation to hand out gifts or boons in a Wild Beyond the Witchlight module or a homebrew game or, you know, two different Storm King's Thunder games could be completely different. If your players are engaged by flavor stuff, give them flavor stuff. If your players love combat mechanics, give them combat mechanics stuff. If you have one player that favors one over the other, lean on the group you have in front of you, the chemistry they have as people, and what they're responding to well in that campaign. That's my take. Give them what makes them happy. Honestly, I if you'd asked me this six months ago, I would have said the flavor stuff. It's way more fun. My players are role players, and we're going to get more out of it. However, I've been talking a lot to Dave recently, and he is one of those players. He DMs. He does flavor and story and shit all the time. When he plays, he wants to hit shit with an axe. Hard stop. He's in there for the unique, interesting mechanics and to slay badass monsters in cool ways. So... The more that I stop and think about that, the more I think about the roots that I came from in like 3.5 D&D, the mechanical shit that felt really good to pop off, it was stacked just right. And like, I, I am thinking more and more mechanically these days and more um, tactically when it comes to maps and uh, and combat. I think that it, it depends on your player. If I have Dan or Megan, I can give them something that is absolutely heartbreaking and they're not going to give a shit about the mechanics of it. It'll pop up once in a while, but they're there for the story, for the, this is how my character changed and evolved. Dave and Casey, however, aren't so much worried about their character arc so much as they are about making shit bleed. And so I'm going to give them the more mechanical things. So, um, And also, it just feels better when your roles work well. Or when the yeah. enemy's roles mm -hmm. don't. So um, I find the mechanical stuff like this, I'm starting to realize more and more in my evolution as a DM, because it feels better, it is, you're going to have more fun and happier players at the table. The happier they are, the more you can kind of fuck with the little background details for the story stuff. I did Grimdark for like two and a half years and my players loved it, but they're smiling more around the table right now. It's a different feel. And it's heroic, and that's why a lot of people play D&D, is to be the big damn hero. So, that's all for our discussion on building special gifts in D&D 5th Edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be returning to our conversation on even more feats, and I don't mean the things at the bottom of your legs. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. 
And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. All right, so a um, little sidebar here before we get any further. Guys, editor, cut this out. Um, I'm talking to myself. I'm going to edit this. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> We're an hour in already. Yeah. <laughs> My next one was Frightful Presence. No, that one was mine. You had Draconic Senses there, bud. My next one is Draconic Sense. <laughs> Unless I'm looking at a different breakdown from you. You are absolutely doing it right. I read it wrong. Uno momento, por favor. Stealing my shit. Steal the one I actually prepped. <laughs> do, 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 do. Sorry, I'm loading. You're a terrible person. Mm-hmm. I've never claimed to be a person. Fair. Figment of nightmares. Why are you still here? Leave already. <laughs>